Hey, good morning. Thank you for joining us for a recent sermon from Harvest Baptist Church. I'm Mark Likens. I'm the lead pastor here at Harvest. We're a Bible-believing, gospel-centered, grace-driven church family right here in Natrona Heights, Pennsylvania. And if you'd like to learn more about our ministry, you can visit us on Facebook or at harvestbaptist.info. Now, I hope you enjoyed today's sermon. It's my prayer that this will encourage and equip you in your relationship with God. Over there, I won't make her stand up and do the missionary thing, but uh, my wife, Brianna, my daughter, Eden, and we have a son named Jericho and a daughter named Noel. They're out with the kids. We are missionaries in Indonesia. Those of you who don't know Indonesia is, find Australia, look right above it, a whole bunch of islands. That's the country of Indonesia. And we live on the island of Papua. When you hear Papua, you think of Papua New Guinea. That's a different country, same island. But um, we live on the Indonesian side of the island. We moved there 12 years ago to Indonesia. Eight years ago, we moved into a tribal location um, called the Dem People, D-E-M. Dem guys over there. Um, <laughs> only Pittsburghers get that, you know, so. Um, we moved into the Dem tribe eight years ago a completely unreached, um, unevangelized people group. Their language had never been documented. There was no Rosetta Stone. There was no Duolingo. So it was a process. All with the goal to teach them the redemption story, to translate God's word into their language, and to establish a church, to make disciples of all nations. Um, I only have a couple minutes, so it's, it's impossible for me to explain what we witnessed this last year. It was a miracle, we, what my family and our team witnessed in the Dem tribe. Um, we were here about three summers ago, and at that point we had never, we hadn't, the Dem had never heard the gospel in their language. When we left here three, when we left to go back um, to Indonesia, um, the beginning of January of, January of 2020, of 2020 um, we had started a literacy program teaching them how to read and write their own language. Um, we put their language, we created an alphabet, a whole curriculum, basically a kindergarten through first or second grade curriculum, teaching them how to read and write their own language. We didn't want to teach them English or the national language, Indonesia, because our goal as a team is to translate God's word into their language so, they, that, so that they can read it for themselves. We've had about 54 um, people um, go through the, the literacy program over the last three years. And there's um, a waiting list. People want to go in. Um, that's currently, one's currently going on. It's about a five-month program. So that's been going on. But last year, um, 2021, January 2021 was the first time that we started the Creation to Christ teaching in the Dem language um, in the history of the world. Um, we started in the beginning in Genesis 1-1 because we need to lay a, a foundation of who God is. Uh, Pastor Mark is going to talk about um, understanding who Jesus is. Um, lots of people, religions, they all uh, believe maybe in a God, correct? And they may have heard the name Jesus, but if you don't understand that Jesus was God and that he came to take away your sins, um, your gospel is, as we say in the dem, it, it's crooked talk. It's not straight talk. And um, yeah, see, people really like that, you know, that's that's just how the them the them say it. There's there's a truth there's a straight talk and there's a crooked talk, and um, so understanding what the straight talk is, what the true gospel is, and starting in the beginning, laying a foundation. Um, the teaching, the way the teaching works is it's, it's phase one teaching is chronological, 
and it's about a four to it's about a three to four month, five days a week um, lessons that we go through through the Old Testament from creation to Christ. When we started the teaching, we had no idea how many people would show up. The first day of the teaching, about 500 people showed up, and they come in throughout the through the jungles, hiking there. And we thought there's no way for three, four months this is going to continue. That you know the numbers are going to die down. But for the whole four months, they all came. Four or five hundred people. Um, we have lots of pictures on our Facebook if you ever want to see it. Of we built a building, but it was not big enough. Um, they were sitting out in the sun, and if we had rain, they would sit out in the, in the rain, um, all to hear the true talk, the straight talk. Now that we have believers, um, so yes, I, I jumped ahead. So then April, April of 2021, last year, 2021, we presented the gospel for the first time in the dem language, Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. When we presented that, that day, we said, this is a really heavy talk. Um, so if you're confused, if something doesn't make sense, come talk with us. And it was almost like a funeral. Um, you know, the gospel means good news, correct? It's good news. Our sins are forgiven. And so we were hoping for joyous reactions. Um, but it was almost like we were at a funeral. People were really, really sad, and so we're going around talking to people. And I think for us, coming from a Western culture, um, I know for myself, we minimize sin to a degree. You know, there's always someone who's worse off than I am. Um, I deserve death. Yes, Christ died for me. I believe that, but I'm not the worst of, of the worst. Um, the dem, they, sin was heavy for them. They kept saying over and over again, what I deserve is so, so heavy. But Christ took that off of me, and he put it on himself. You know, God took that off of me, and he put it on his son Christ on the death, on, on, the, Christ, on his son Christ on the cross. Um, and they believed it. They believed the gospel. They believed what Christ did for them. But their perspective was different. You know, it, it was joyous. It was very, very good news. But it was, what Christ did for us was big. It wasn't little. And um, that was the birth of the church, April of 2021, the Dem Church. Since then, we... We meet three times a week, um, going back through Old Testament stories, and we thought once we have believers and once we start this phase two uh, teaching, the numbers, you know, the excitement is kind of over. Um, that was over a year ago. We still have four to five hundred people coming every time that we meet um, to hear God's word. They're hungry for it. I'm going to read a quick verse, real quick, two verses in First Peter chapter two, verses nine and ten. Um, I'm going to read verse ten first, and then go backwards. Verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Um, in this testimony, the, man, the young man's name is Tone. Um, it's repetitive but you'll see why I chose that verse to read to you about the one who has called you out of darkness and into his, his marvelous light. Um, this is your, your new brother in Christ, uh, Tone. So, yeah, thank you very much for your support, and that's about it. If you're thankful for what the Lord's done, would you give the Lord a hand? <clears throat> it's amazing stuff. Um, and I, I want to thank you all for being faithful to our missions program. Here in October, we'll hit Missions Month, and we'll talk 
all about that, but we have a few different missions updates uh, for you today. Uh, that being one of them, there's over 100 different missionaries that we're partnered with uh, every month financially to help see their work go forward and invest in the kingdom of God. And, uh, and that's one. Uh, of course, uh, Marlon is here today as well. Uh, Marlon, uh, we've supported Marlon for probably 17 years, I think, a missionary to the Philippines. And uh, <clears throat> he has his youngest son with him. Uh, Jay and Marlon will both be in the lobby afterwards. You can meet them. You can say hey to them and, and get to know them a little bit. I encourage you to go uh, check out Jay and Brianna's Facebook pages. Uh, I pulled uh, right between the services, I pulled a couple of pictures off, and we're going to put them on the screen for you of just uh, of what they were able to accomplish. And you can see uh, a picture says a thousand words, you know, them there under this pavilion with, with 500 people or out in the open teaching. Uh, I think there's one on there. I can't remember if it was a hat or a shirt, but it's a black and yellow, we'll call it a shirt, that says Jesus saves you and, and I don't know if the uh, dim people knew what that was talking about but uh, I love just seeing the updates and so you can connect with our missionaries outside of Sunday mornings you know you can see what they're doing and follow them there's some amazing stuff that I hope you'll you'll avail yourself to uh, a couple of things that happened missionally before we get to first John chapter number two this morning is uh, I want Fru Fru would you uh, stand up for a minute uh, this is Fru thank you for you you can uh, have a seat yeah, we're clapping for Fru. I like it. We're clapping for everybody today. <clears throat> um, have a seat, Fru. We're, um, many of you know Fru's story, uh, Cameroonian refugee, and there, there are times in a church's life where God just brings something that's very off script. You, you had no plans. It, you, you, it wasn't on your agenda, and he just kind of drops something in your lap. It's like, do this. And, uh, and, and just Fru and his situation and his family, I won't give you the whole story, but I would say that, that probably 25 or 30% of you know the story. It's just something that God's brought him into our family and has just kind of dropped some situations in our lap. And, uh, and we've been working hard to help him, to help his family who legitimately uh, was in Cameroon in danger and getting them uh, to safety in another country. And there's there's a story that we should write a novel on one day. I'm telling you, Fru's story, is, it's, it's, uh, it's out of control. Um, but we're having a meeting today after church. If you have been involved with the story, or perhaps you don't, you haven't been, but you have a heart to help uh, uh, a political refugee and some, some young people that are still stuck in Africa and we're trying to get them over here and figure some things out. If you have any connections politically or, or maybe you know a lawyer or something, come to the meeting. It's, it's in room 400 after the service. Uh, we'd love to explain more. Uh, the reason we're having a meeting is because many of you have been coming kind of individually. Hey, I heard about this. I heard about this. I heard about this. And we just said, why don't we get everyone together who wants to be together and talk about it and, and let you know how you can help and what part you can play and how you can pray. Uh, so that'll happen in room 400. I hope you'll go there after the service if, if you have any interest. Uh, we are uh, going to send out a, a missions team tomorrow. We're going to pray over them in just a minute, but I want to thank you for your prayers for our teens that went to teen camp last week, and I want to ask you to continue to pray. Uh, we have a team of 10 that's going to the Dominican Republic. Uh, tomorrow they leave. They will run a basketball camp and use that as a tool to share the gospel with people uh, for about half the day, and then the other half of the day uh, they'll be able to, to do some work and some projects and, and be able to evangelize, and it'll be fun for us to send them out and about every three or four months, we're, we're sending out another team to go do something. Uh, and really, they're sent uh, as the Lord's ambassadors, first and foremost, but even ambassadors from Harvest Baptist Church to, to go and to represent and to love people and to share the gospel with other people. One other mission update. Uh, we've been working on this behind the scenes for a number of months, and I'm excited to officially let you know this. Uh, we are starting as a church an adoption fund. 
Uh, we're doing this in partnership with a nonprofit called LifeSong. Uh, LifeSong will manage uh, the day-to-day and the logistics of this for us, and they do it at no cost to our church, which is amazing. Uh, but it really is a fund that's designed for those who maybe it's foster to adopt, maybe it's domestic adoption, maybe it's international adoption. Uh, but if you have any interest in doing any of those three, I would say in the next two or three years, I want to invite you to come to a meeting next Sunday after, after this service, and uh, we'll explain more. But simply put, uh, it'll be funds from uh, really our church body and our missions program uh, that will be made available, and depending on the situation, sometimes it'll be a 0% interest loan that someone would pay back. Uh, perhaps they needed some money up front, but they have the means to get it back to us. And some of it will be grants uh, that are maybe three, four, five thousand $5,000 that will give to help people uh, do domestic and international adoption. Uh, this has been on, on my heart for sure for quite some time, but especially with the Supreme Court overturning Roe versus Wade, uh, the, the logical thought process is that there will be, based on states and what they do with that, uh, there will be more people in our country that will be having children instead of abortions, and there will probably be an influx of people who are putting their children up for adoption. And we felt like as a church, we didn't just want to say, oh, we should be the church and we should do something, but we should actually pick something. We can't do everything, uh, but we can pick something and we can be the hands and feet of Jesus. Uh, so if there's any interest at all uh, on your part uh, in adopting or foster to adopting, domestic or international, uh, come to the meeting next week and we'd love to help you. We'd love to resource you. We'd love to be a blessing to you. And uh, I know that there are a handful of you that have done that over the years and have adopted uh, from our church. And we want to help those that have a heart to do it here in the near future. All right, I think that's all the updates I have uh, other than the mission team. I do want to spend just a brief moment. I think it's fitting for us as a family uh, to get a little portion of our family and pray over them for a minute. Uh, so if you are going to the Dominican Republic tomorrow, you are leaving on the team, would you do me a favor? Would you stand up and would you come up here? Uh, we want to take a minute and we want to pray over you as a team. Don't be shy. Don't be embarrassed. Uh, we, we want you to be up here. We're glad that you are. Uh, I want to encourage you, if you're grateful, we're clapping all day today, so let's clap again. If you're thankful they're giving their time, their energy, their money, <clears throat> this, this is uh, the crew here uh, that's headed over. Uh, Aaron and John went over here a couple weeks ago and scouted it all out for us and got it ready to go. But I want us to take a moment as a church, and I want you to go to heaven with me, and I want you to, to go to the Lord, let, let's, let's storm his throne, and say, God, would you bless them? We're praying uh, that the Lord would protect them physically and spiritually. We're praying uh, that God would give them fruit, that they would not just have a good time and make memories and see another country and not have visa issues, but that God would allow them uh, to really minister and to impact some people and some lives, and that it would change uh, a, little, a little portion of that country, but would also ultimately shape and change them. Uh, so I'm excited about this for you guys. We're excited to send you. So uh, take a minute with me, and everybody, let, let's pray for this team. Father, we are grateful for uh, each and every one of these that are willing to get out of their comfort zone a little bit, that are willing to spend their, their time, their energy, their resources, their money uh, to go somewhere else and to bless other people and to witness to other people and to do projects for other people and to serve other people. Lord, I pray that you would bless them. I pray that your face would shine on them. I pray that you would give them smoothness of travel, that you would give them safety and protection both in a physical and in a spiritual way. Lord, I pray that you would use them. I pray that you would use them to influence others, but would you use this trip in their heart? 
Uh, would you use this in their lives? May they be changed and shaped because of their experiences and because of the people that they get to meet. Lord, I don't know if there's uh, one from this crew that's going to end up being a full-time missionary one day, or maybe half of them will be, but Lord, if you start to work in their heart and you start to prick them and, and, and bring forward kind of a burden for them to do this full-time, I pray that they'd respond to you and that they would be courageous in that. Lord, we love you, and we ask your blessing on these uh, people uh, that are that are going to need it, that want it, that want to be used by you. We ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, God bless you, team. Thank you for coming. Thank you for, for standing with me for a minute. <clears throat> all right, go to 1 John chapter number 2. 1 John chapter number 2. Here's what we're going to do. Uh, I'll tell you up front, today's going to be more teachy than preachy. Uh, if you don't like theology and doctrine, today's not your day. I'm sorry. Uh, some days are very practical, some days are very relational, and some days are theological, and today's a theological day. And I want to set this up by uh, explaining state versus national borders, okay? So we live in the United States of America, and there are 50 different states, and each state has their own borders, and each state is able to enact a measure of their own laws, right? Uh, so if you compared Pennsylvania to Ohio, uh, Pennsylvania would have a certain level of taxes they put on their gasoline sales, and Ohio would have a different level of taxation, right? Uh, we have experienced this through COVID. We saw different states respond to the virus in different ways. And sometimes we wish we live in a different state, right? Some, some of you wanted it more stringent. Some of you wanted it more relaxed, you know, but, but the states responded different ways. And it was very evident. It was very evident uh, of which states did what, right? Uh, some of you long every time that you look at your taxes to live in Florida where there's no income tax, right? Ever been there? There's, there's different states, but we are all the United States, which means that while we have our own state laws and our own state borders, there's a national border and there are national laws that exist for us that unite us all together, right? There is a constitution. There is a bill of rights. You and I can travel in between the Pennsylvania and Ohio border relatively easily. We cannot travel between the American and Mexico border as easily because it's a national border. Get it? Inside of Christianity, there are, we'll just say, state and national borders. There are state borders, we'll call them, that exist where churches can be un united. They can agree on the big things, but they can disagree on some little things. And they can, they can disagree on maybe the mode of governance that is there in their church, the polity or the structure of their church. They could disagree on modes of baptism, perhaps, and, and, and what they think as Baptists. We are big on baptism by immersion after salvation, but not every Christian would agree with that. They could agree, disagree on maybe the exact calendar of events and, and what happens on the prophetic timeline and the eschatological calendar. They could disagree about those things. But there are certain things that you cannot disagree on and say that you're a Christian still. Sure, we could argue about Bible versions, and we could argue about modes of baptism. We could argue about all those things, and we may all still be Christians while we're arguing about some of those things. But there are certain items, national borders we'll call them, that if you cross that border, it could be war. You, you, don't, you don't touch those. You don't mess with that. All Christians have to be in agreement on them. And today, we're going to look at a national border. John is going to give us, he's been giving us these tests, these social tests and these moral tests, how we would love and how we would live, but he's going to give us today more or less a doctrinal test, a test on what 
Christians believe. It's not all of what Christians believe, but you cannot believe less than this and still be a Christian. It is an impossibility, he will tell you. He will tell you that if you don't believe what he sets forth, then it is, as Jay said, crooked talk. It is not straight talk. And John will tell you there is crooked and there is straight. There is truth and there is lie. And he lays this out for us, and I want us to understand it very simply. So let's read it together. We're going to spend, actually, two weeks on this. Uh, We're going to spend this week and next week looking at this passage of Scripture. But let's read it first. Verse number 18 of 1 John 2. Little children, it is the last time. As ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now there are many Antichrists, plural, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist, that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledges the Son hath the Father also. Let that therefore abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he had promised us, even eternal life. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing which ye have received of him that abideth in you, And ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth and is no lie, and even as it has taught you, ye shall abide in him. Now, it's very possible that we just read that passage of Scripture, and you thought to yourself, what did we just read? There was a lot there. What did that just say? And certainly there's a lot to unpack, and over the next couple weeks we'll talk about some of these terms. What does it mean by last time? What does it mean by we have an unction, we have an anointing? Who is this Holy One? We'll cover all that stuff. But I want you just to get the headline. The headline of what he's saying in the most basic piece of communication here is that there are those who have left the church because they really were not of the church in the first place, although they were there and they were with the Christians, but they left the church and they are now, as John dubs them, anti-Christ, anti-Jesus. They are not on Team Jesus, and he says they never were. But there are these people, and then there are those that are Christians. There are those that know the truth, those that have this unction, those that remain and abide, those that have eternal life. And he compares and contrasts these two groups of people, Christians and antichrists. Now, I know that the term antichrist, when you hear it, it has a lot of celebrity, right? When you hear antichrist, you think of, of you know, some movie you, you watched or some book you read by Tim LaHaye or, or something like that, and you think of this, this one person. And, and there's a, certainly a measure of truth to that. You would find in Daniel, you would even find that John alludes to it here. He says, not the antichrist, but antichrist plural. You would find that there is one day prophesied at a, we'll call him a super antichrist, the ultimate antichrist, the, the, the one who is the most powerful anti-Jesus person, as Revelation would call him the beast, and Paul would call him the, the man of lawlessness, that there will be this person. But set that aside for a minute. What John is talking about is the spirit of antichrist, or the attitudes that are present, certainly in the antichrist eventually, but are present in many people now, that exists, and he says, if you have these attitudes or these beliefs, then you are anti-Jesus. 
you are not on the team. You do not have eternal life. You do not know the Father. It's very strong words, lies and truth, crooked talk and straight talk, clear lines of division. And this morning, I want us to see the profile of what an antichrist would be. And then next week, we'll look at the profile of what a Christian would be according to this text. And I think if we can put the two together, we'll understand it very properly. So let me give you the profile of an antichrist first. And uh, it is worth noting that antichrist has only mentioned the, the term four times in the whole Bible, two of which are right here in 1 John 2. We saw it in verse 18 and in verse 22. So half of the usage of antichrist is right here. And then another time that's used is going to be in just a, a couple words, a couple pages later in 1 John. And we'll see that in a minute. But let us understand what is antichrist. What are we talking about? So first of all, they separate from true Christians. Verse 18 tells us that's the last time, and you've heard that Antichrist shall come, even now there are many Antichrists, whereby we know it's the last time. So let's define last time for a minute. Last time is uh, the last period of time. This is a distinct period of time, but the length is undetermined. Uh, simply put, this is the time from Jesus' ministry, his first coming, to Jesus' second coming. That's, that's how you can think of the last time or the last hour, as some would call it, is, is that chunk of time. We don't know exactly how long that will be. We know that we're still in it. We know that they were. And John says that one of the reasons they knew they were in this last time was the Antichrist, was the people, the, the false prophets that were there. And he describes them in verse 19 as they went out from us, because they weren't of us. For if they had been of us, they would have no doubt have continued with us, but they went out, and so now it's manifest that they were not all of us. The reason they choose to leave the church, the reason they choose to go out and separate is because they have a body of teaching that the real Christians were able to discern not as just unhealthy, but as heretical and altogether wrong something that was denying a major truth claim, a national border of Christianity. And they were able to discern this and identify this, not be seduced by it. And as such, they were either kicked out or they went out on their own. And the reason they leave is ultimately because of truth and error and doctrinal differences. And it tells us very plainly what you need to know about Antichrist is that their Christology is wrong. Okay, their, their doctrine surrounding the Lord Jesus is wrong. And this is what he says in verse 22. Listen to it. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? That person, he is Antichrist, that, and that person denies the Father and the Son. In case that wasn't clear, he repeats it. Whosoever denies the Son, the same does not have the Father, but he that acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So, simply put, they deny that Jesus is the Christ. The Christ isn't Jesus' last name, it's a title, okay? You can say Christ, Messiah, those are interchangeable. What does that mean? That he is the Messiah, that he is the Christ. It means that Jesus is the anointed one, the appointed one, the one who was prophesied of, the Redeemer who would come, the Messiah who would come, the one who is on mission from God, the one who is sent via the Father, the is the anointed and appointed one. That's what it means. And it, what these people are teaching, these antichrists, is that, no, that's not the case. Jesus is not Lord. Jesus is not the Christ. Jesus is not the Messiah. Jesus is not sent by the Father. And to deny that was to imply, actually, denial of God himself, of the Father. Whether they meant to do that or not, John says, that is what you are doing. 
this is a falsehood about Jesus, and when you deny Jesus, Jesus is God in the flesh, you deny God. You cannot have one without the other. He is God's son. He is God's unique image bearer. You have to affirm Jesus. He is the only way to God. We will find in chapter 4 when we get there in just a couple weeks that they further would deny the incarnation. I want to read a couple verses for you. If you look at chapter 4, verse 1, you find something eerily similar to chapter 2 where John says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Okay, I want to be discerning, John. I want, to tr- I want to know if it's a false prophet or not. I want to try the spirits. How might I do this? Well, hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh, the incarnation, is of God. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus has come in the flesh is not of God. Now, you didn't know that that was a Christmas passage, but it's a Christmas passage. Talking about God becoming man. This is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof you have heard that it should come, and even now it is already in the world. So this is, this is simple. These are national borders. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is Lord of all. Jesus is God in the flesh. He took on flesh. God did. And he came and he lived a perfect life. He, he died vicariously for our sins. He was buried. He rose again. Major truth claims, major doctrine of Christianity. And there were those in that cultural context, and there are those in our cultural context, that denied these. They came up with their own iterations and versions of them and twisted and manipulated it and tried to seduce Christians into believing what was ultimately false. Now, it has changed over the years on, on what people will do. We don't know exactly what John is talking about. More than likely, he is talking about Gnosticism. This is something that John and Paul and many of the apostles had to, had to fight tooth and nail in their day and age. Gnosticism was the idea. It comes from the Greek word gnosis. It means that you have special knowledge, that you need more than doctrine and you need more than Jesus. You need this subjective experience and this knowledge that God will just kind of grant to you and give to you. And the Gnostics were known, they had had several things that they were known for, but they were known for categorizing material things as bad and immaterial spiritual things as good. And as such, they began to teach that Jesus did not ultimately come as God in the flesh. God would never touch flesh. That Jesus was, their words were, he was like a phantom. He was like a a hologram. He was like this spirit that actually never had body, never actually suffered. That never actually happened. He never took on flesh. That was not the case. There, There is no suffering Savior. Isaiah was wrong about that. They began to teach these things. Furthermore, they began to teach that Jesus was not God, that he was just one of many emanations from God, like ripples on a pond, that God had a lot of spirits that came from him, some good, some bad, some neutral. Jesus was a good one, but he's just one of many that came from him, and they began to deny Jesus, that he was the Christ, that he was God in the flesh, that he was Lord. And John knows this, and John steps onto the scene, and he says, no, 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 stop. That is in direct opposition to what Jesus taught. That is in direct opposition to what his followers, the apostles, taught. That is in direct opposition to true Christianity. These two things cannot live together. They're mutually exclusive. The law of non-contradiction says one is right and one is wrong. 
and he, I will get next week to what is right and what you should abide in and what you should remain in and what you should keep hold of. But he says, reject that, that Jesus didn't come in the flesh. Reject that, that Jesus is not the Christ. Now, in case you think I'm making this up and just John made it up too, I want you to go to John chapter number five and I want you to see some of Jesus' words. I'll be brief with it. But I want you to see one example of many of when Jesus taught. What Jesus said about himself. And this is what the disciples taught, what Jesus taught. That Jesus was very clear and very bold that he was not just some guy. He was not just some prophet. He was not just some moral teacher. He was God in the flesh. He was one with the Father. Look at John, the gospel, chapter number 5. Look at verse number 16. It says, Therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus, and they sought to slay him, because he had done uh, these things on the Sabbath day. Jesus was healing people on the Sabbath day. The law on the Sabbath day was don't work. That was actually a law from God. And they said, "Ah, healing counts as work. You can't heal. You can't do that. It's wrong. So verse number 17, Jesus answered them and says, My Father worketh hitherto, and I work. So what Jesus says is not, I'm not working, guys. I'm just healing people. Healing's not real work. I mean, for me, it's easy. It's not, it's not work. That's all he says. He says, look, does God take a day off? You know, the Father, does, does he rest? He take a little nap on Sundays. The Sabbath would have been Saturday, technically, but I'm, Sunday's our day. I, I get that. Does he take a nap? He rests? No. He's God. He does whatever he, whatever he wants, whenever he wants. And he says, just like he does that, so do I, right? What Jesus says, plainly, is the same rules that apply to God apply to me. I get to do whatever I want to on the Sabbath day. Now, this is inflaming to his audience because if they thought that healing on the Sabbath was bad, now he's a blasphemer. Now, in their eyes, he's a heretic. And they say, verse 18, therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him because he had not only broken the Sabbath, but now he said also that God was his father and he made himself equal with God. So they interpret it correctly. They, they do not believe, but they interpret what he's saying correctly. That he is equating himself with God. And Jesus says, the rules that apply to, to the father, to God, apply to me. Now look down in verse number uh, 21. He says, not only the same rules that apply to God apply to me, the same jobs that apply to God apply to me. Verse 21, as the Father raises up the dead and quickens them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. Quickeneth being an old English word that means to make alive. He says, hey, you know how God is in charge of raising the dead? Like that's his prerogative? Yeah, he's given that to me. Rabbinical tradition taught that if God had a key ring, he still had at least three keys on it. He had the key to the rain, he had the key to the womb, and he had the key to raise life up from the dead. Those were God jobs. And Jesus says, I got a key ring. Yeah, I, I got that raise people from the dead one. That's on my key ring. That's my job. The same jobs that God has, I have. Then he goes on to say, look at verse number uh, 22. For the Father judges no man, but has committed all judgment unto the Son. You get what he's saying? This is either the most ludicrous, insane, bold-faced lie that anyone's ever told, or he's God. One or the other. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. He is saying, man doesn't get to do the judge-all-of-humanity job. You will not die and give an account to a mirror. That's not how it works. You will die and you will give an account 
to God. And he says, that will be my job. You will give an account to me. Romans 14 will echo this and will say that we will all bow the knee and we will all give an account at the judgment seat of Christ. He says, the, the rules that apply to God apply to me. The jobs that apply to God apply to me. Verse number 23, the honor and worship that applies to God applies to me. That all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father which has sent him. What is he doing? He's demanding worship. Now, we're told in the Bible to honor lots of people. Honor your parents. You're told to honor uh, those that rule well and are pastors and those that, that try to watch for your souls, to actually honor pastors. I don't say that to be self-serving. It's a biblical instruction. You're told to honor authority figures, those that God has put in place, even governmental leaders, and to honor the king. You're told to give honor, but you are never told to honor me or your parents or any other pastor or any political figure as you honor God. That you give the same honor and the same worship and the same devotion to them that you would give to God. You're never told that, but Jesus says, you want to honor me, you honor me like you honor God. The worship and honor that he gets, I get. This is bold. This is him saying, I'm God. This is actually one of the problems with uh, WWJD, which I don't want to nitpick, but uh, what would Jesus do, right? There's lots of things Jesus did that we should do as well, right? We should walk in his steps. That's where it came from the book, and many of you read the book, and you've worn the bracelets. But there are plenty of things that Jesus did that you should not do. For example, Jesus demanded worship. What would Jesus do? Demand worship. So I demand you worship me. Nope, doesn't work. You don't, that's a Jesus thing, right? Jesus died vicariously for the sins of the world. Don't try that one. You can't do it, right? There's, you can miss the reality that Jesus is different when you just do a WWJD life, Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is God in the flesh. This actually happened. You have to know that. You have to believe that to be a Christian. And if you do not, I can't make you believe. I don't got magic pixie dust to put on you to, to somehow, you know, pray an incantation over you. And make it, I can't do any of that. But if you do not, then John says, that's crooked talk. That's not truth. That's lie. That is anti-Jesus. It's anti the message of Jesus. That is anti-Christ. If you deny that he was God in the flesh, if you deny that he was the Christ. Now, I don't know if you've met a Gnostic recently. Probably not. I know John wrote to the Gnostics, but let me just make this very applicable. You may encounter a Buddhist, right, who will say that Jesus was an enlightened man, to be sure, but they will not say that he was the Christ, that he was Lord, that he was God in the flesh. You may encounter a Christian scientist. They will say that Jesus lived, but they will not say that he was God. Hindus will teach that Jesus was wise, but in no way will they say that he was God. Islam will teach you that Jesus was a prophet, but he was an inferior prophet. You can find even words of political leaders over the years. Fidel Castro said, I never saw a contradiction between the ideas that sustain me and Jesus. A.K.A. Jesus was a good communist. Hitler said, how terrific was his fight against the Jewish poison. A.K.A. Jesus was a good Nazi. Those views of Jesus are wrong. You may encounter in your day-to-day -day life a Jehovah's Witness who will tell you that Jesus was a created being. Wrong. 
a Mormon that will tell you that Jesus is the half-brother of Lucifer. Wrong. That's not straight talk. You can't mess with that stuff and still be Christian. You can't. You have to have your Christology right. In order to be a follower of Christ, you have to claim that he was Christ. You have to understand what he said about himself and believe it. There's no, there's no escaping that. These are clear lines of division, national, national borders on what makes a Christian or what makes someone not a Christian, or as John would call them, antichrist. And this is vastly important because the work of Jesus falls at least a little bit flat, if not a lot of it flat, if you don't understand the person of Jesus. In order for the, the work of Jesus to be so magnanimous, you have to get the person of Jesus. So for example, if I told you that I, I know somebody who forgave some people, okay, that's kind of broad. I need to describe those persons for you to understand the weight of what I'm saying. So if I say I know somebody, my child Willow, who forgave some people, her brothers who are mean to her occasionally, you're going to say, good for Willow, but whoop-de-doo. We've all been there, done that, you know. That's, that's part of life. Your siblings annoy you, and you have to work with them and love them and forgive them. Okay. But if I tell you that Corey ten Boom, a Jewish prisoner of war in Nazi Germany, is tortured and enslaved, and one of the prison guards who so hurt and wounded and, and belittled doesn't even come close to comparing what, what he did. He comes to her and says, I found Jesus. Would you forgive me because I know there's forgiveness in Christ? Okay, the work of forgiveness becomes a bit grander when I understand these persons, right? And you have to know that not just that Jesus died for your sins, but that Christ died for your sins. You have to understand that Jesus is hanging on the cross, but he's hanging on the cross as God in the flesh, as the Christ, as the one who created everything, as the appointed one, as the anointed one, as Lord of all creation, the one who will judge everyone, the one who will raise the dead, that that's the one who hangs on the cross and looks at the creation and says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Do you see the gap? If he's not the Christ, then that gap shrinks just a bit, and all of a sudden the work of Jesus is less potent and less magnificent than it should be. Understanding who Jesus is, understanding his person, is key to understanding his work. And John says very clearly, if you deny the Son, you also deny the Father. So, side note. Do we, as Christians, worship the same God that other monotheists worship? The quick answer is no, but let me explain it. If we have lots of Bobs and lots of Joes in our church, okay? If your name's Bob or Joe, raise your hand. Let's see all you Bobs and Joes, okay? I got a, I got a Bob, a Bob, a Joe, a Bob, a Joe. Uh, there's, there's lots of them, okay? Joe back there. Let's say I tell you, hey, oh, man, this this church member I don't I don't really know much about him but his name was Joe he he, he helped me the other day my car was broken down the parking lot he came out he was he was awesome and you look at me and say oh yeah I, I had a Joe help me too a, a member of this church you know it wasn't my car it was something else but he came and he helped me and now we're trying to figure out are we talking about the same Joe right I'm not sure if we are but we we got some descriptors that are close he goes to church okay, what what does what does he look like well he's a he and uh, I don't know, he's, he's maybe like 50-ish, average height. Yeah, yeah, that was kind of like the Joe that helped me. 
And let's say that a particular Joe, I'll pick Joe Miller, Pastor Joe there, walks towards us. I say, that's the Joe I'm talking about. And you say, oh, no, no, that's not the Joe. That's a different Joe. Now that I see him in the flesh, I know that's, that's not him, right? Christians and other monotheists can have some descriptors that line up about God who we're worshiping. Well, I, I worship the one God who created everything. Oh, yeah, me too, says the Islamic person. I'm Muslim, and I worship one God who created everything too. Are we talking about the same God? Well, I know I worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, the Jewish person says, yeah, me too. Are we talking about the same God? Are we worshiping the same God? Here's how, okay, our descriptors are kind of matching up. Here's how you know. God came in a person in the flesh. And if you recognize that God in the flesh and say, that's him, and they look and say, nope, that's not him, then all of a sudden you're not talking about the same God, right? The clearest representation of God we have ever had was when God took on flesh in the person of Jesus Christ and came and walked the earth. And if you look at Jesus and say, not God, we're not talking about the same God. This is why John will say very plainly, if you deny the Son, you deny the Father. If you have the Son, you have the Father. That's how it works. You can't get around that. Now that's, I know that's bold. I know in a culture that is very uh, tolerant of many things, but extremely intolerant of anything that is clear and decisive and, and just this is the way it is, truth and lie, the end, not subjective, objective. I know our culture doesn't like this. I know John is completely anti-American at this moment, but he's trying to tell you the truth. This is a national border. This is who Jesus says you have to have your Christology right. You, cannot, you can't tinker with that. You can't mess with that. You can't water that down. You have to understand who Jesus is to be on Team Jesus. I'll go quickly. He says also that these people claim to be Christians. Verse 19, he said they went out from us, Okay. There's a lot I could say there, but the bottom line of what you need to know is that not all non-Christians know they're non-Christians. These were people that were in the church. These were people that may have convinced themselves that they had eternal life, that they had Jesus, but when push came to shove, they left and their doctrine was off, not just little ancillary doctrine and things that you could argue about, but things that were big and important and major truth claims, and they, they left. You need to know that not everyone who thinks that they're a Christian is a Christian. You need to know that there are people who write books as Christians, but they may not be Christian. And you need to be, uh, I won't say skeptical, but you need to be discerning. You need to know that everyone who's on the radio uh, as a Christian may not actually be a Christian, right? Just because it's a Christian bookstore does not mean that every book that's written there is for Christians. You have to have, as John would recommend, a discerning spirit, to try the spirits, to know false from error. And one of the best ways you can do that is what do you say about Jesus? What do you believe about Jesus? Are there non-Christians who write about business that we can learn from? Absolutely. I'm not saying you can never read someone who is, is not a Christian. But I'm saying be very careful of someone who poses as a Christian and guises himself as a Christian, but at the end of the day is a wolf in sheep's clothing and is trying to have an audience that is Christian, but they are not in fact Christian. Be very discerning. Know where they stand on Jesus and what they teach about Jesus. Understand that these people claim to be Christian. Now, I must make this clear. Do not... Do not rip this text out of its context 
and slap anyone who ever leaves our church with it, okay? Can I, can I say that? So people come into churches, people leave churches. Most of the people that leave our church is because they moved, right? If someone is moving to Colorado, they are not. Well, they went out from us because they weren't among us, okay? And be careful even saying that tongue-in-cheek with somebody. They're, they're not defectors. They're not, you know, false prophets or antichrists, right? Even if someone leaves because they have disagreements, right? That happens in church. That I have, ah, my worship preferences are a little bit different, or I don't know that, you know, I've, I've, they, they tick me off, or Pastor Mark preaches too long, or the kids' ministry workers, you know, they, they put that sticker on the back of my kid, and when I washed it, it ruined the, my, the shirt, and I, whatever. Okay. <laughs> One day I should give you a list of all the reasons <laughs> I've heard people leaving churches. That happens. People can have different uh, conscientious, agreeable differences. But we're, if we're going to be in heaven, they believe in Jesus, they believe the gospel, and we're going to worship together. We still love them. We're on the same team. They're not antichrist. They're not opposed to us. Even if they start to you know, throw darts or mud or whatever, we're not going to sling mud back. That's no, 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 no. We're not talking about that. I can think of... of Three or less in my six years of pastoring here who have left for, for reasons close to what John is saying here. Very sporadically it will happen, but most of the time not. So don't label someone with this. Be careful with that. But they went out from us. They claim to be Christian. But lastly, it says that they want to continue to seduce and to, best we can assume, continue to pose as Christians. It says it there at, at the, towards the end of the chapter, verse 26, these things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. Chapter 4 said it as well. I want you to have a discerning spirit. Be aware. They're not just leaving and saying, okay, well, I'll leave you alone. You know, you have your theology, I have my theology, and I'll just go in my, be in my little corner and you can be in yours. No, 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 no. Oftentimes, there is a concerted effort to manipulate and coerce and, and teach and indoctrinate in a false way and be aware of this. Don't be alarmed by this. I would even say don't be discouraged by this. In one sense, it can be discouraging, but in one sense, we have to expect it. Jesus said that it would happen. John said that it would happen. It does happen. So there has to be a, a, a bit of a, a tough hide to understand that this will be part of the equation from time to time. And know that when this does happen, you stand true. We'll get to that next week, and you abide, and you remain, and you keep there. But don't be surprised by it. There are, there are a lot of applications I could give, but I want to give you two or three, and I want to spend 30 seconds each. What I would take away from this would be a couple things if I were you. <laughs> Number one is I would pray for a discerning spirit. There is a legitimate gift of discernment that 1 Corinthians 12 lists for us. And some people are, are naturally gifted via the Spirit of God in that way. But we're also told to pray for this and to be on guard and not just stick our heads in the sand. So pray for discerning spirit. Also be grateful for those that would, that would care for your souls and would watch over you. Pastors, other spiritual leaders you may have in your life. 
Do not outsource this responsibility solely to them, to Pastor Mark or to Pastor Dom or to Pastor Rousey and allow them to, to, to be the guard and the check on everything. You need to have some of this yourself and a spirit of discernment yourself, but pray for it yourself and be grateful for those that God has put in your life to help and to guard and to protect the flock. But I also want you to think about this as we close this sermon. Should what we believe give rise to how we live? Now, the biblical answer to that is yes. And you'll see that all through this epistle. You'll see that all through Paul's epistles. There's doctrine, but doctrine isn't just this compartment that exists in our life. And we study it, and we know it, and we can articulate it, and we know who Jesus is, and our Christology is straight. And then we just go live our life however we want. What you believe should be something that comes off of your lips, but it also should be something that emanates through your life. And this is why John's so good about giving us three categories of tests. The doctrinal test is important. I'm not minimizing it at all. What we believe is important. But how we live and the moral test is equally as important. And how we love and the social test is equally as important. And there should not be this juxtaposition between what we say we believe and how we live our lives. Now I know there's a gap in between what you say you believe and how you live. Me too. We all have a gap. But we should work diligently to shrink that gap and to have our lips and our lives match up with each other. And I want to encourage you, okay, would you testify, yes or no, would you testify that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is God in the flesh, I've put my faith and trust in him. Would you testify of that, okay, great. If yes, does your life testify of it? Are there ways you're denying him with how you live? And if so, put those ways to death. There's a million examples I could give you. I gave you a few last week when we talked about lust of the eyes and lust of the flesh and the pride of life. But have your life and have your lips match. It would be fitting. It would, give, it would make it really difficult for the world to criticize us. Their criticism would slip through the fingers of most that were listening if our lips and our lives matched. I don't do it perfectly and neither do you, but let's try. Is that fair? Let's try as a church family to say, let's say Jesus is Lord, but let's live as Jesus is Lord. Good morning, church. Thanks for joining us this morning for worship. We pray that everything that we do today will bring God glory and be a blessing to you and your family. If this is the first time you're joining us today, or maybe you just haven't been in a while, we want to extend a special welcome to you and your family. Make sure you stop by the welcome desk so you can meet one of our pastors, and also so you can get one of those gift bags and maybe a Bible if you don't have one of those. Now let's take a few moments to see what's going on here at Harvest. Child dedication is the opportunity for parents to publicly commit to partner with the church to raise their child in a gospel-centered environment. This important event occurs twice a year, once in the winter and once in the summer, so the next one is coming up on Sunday, July 31st. If you're interested in participating in this special service, please stop by the welcome desk for more information. 
There will be an interest meeting on July 31st following the 1030 service for anyone interested in hosting a foreign exchange student. It will be held in room 100 and there will be some refreshments. If anyone is interested in hosting a student, please stop by the welcome desk for more information. Golfers and wannabe golfers, mark your calendars. The 15th annual Sports Classic Golf Outing will take place on Saturday, September 10th at the Lynx at Spring Church. This event is the main source of income for the sports program at Harvest Baptist Academy, so please sign up to support our kids as they pursue glorifying God through athletics. For more information on how you can be a part, you can pick up a brochure in the lobby or at the welcome desk. We hope to see you on the golf course. The evangelism team will be sharing the gospel outside of PNC Park on Friday, July 29th from 6 to 8. One of our team members was actually able to lead someone to the Lord last week at PNC. If this is something that interests you, you can stop by the welcome desk to get more details about the evangelism team. If you haven't heard yet, we are partnering with the Tri-Life organization again in raising money for children and families in need. Baby bottles will be available to pick up next Sunday. You can fill these with cash or coins or a check and return them to the table in the lobby by August 14th. Thanks again for joining us for worship today. If you decide to accept Christ as your Savior, we think that that's absolutely awesome. We want to make sure we connect with you and come alongside you as you begin your new relationship with Christ. Make sure you follow us on all of our social media platforms and check out our website at harvestbaptist.info. Until next time, have a great week.